Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I almost forgot that last part. I am your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. And we are going to get into a Q&A today. Yeah, we got some good questions here, guys. We'll go through a couple and uh, get them. <laughs> get them what? Dive deep into them. There you go. All right, we got a couple <laughs> questions here, guys, that we are we're going new to, to this. We're going to dive deep into today. So the first one, it comes from Anonymous. It says, how to transition from macro tracking to intuitive eating. I hear you talk about it before, and I can't find where. Where one way was to track for a week and then not track for a week, something like that, where you kind of wean yourself off. Could you please explain more? Yeah, I think uh, I've three things to say about this one. (laughs) Um, First thing is that I just posted about this literally today. So it's funny that this is one of the questions. I didn't know this was going to be the question, but I wrote uh, the majority of influencers who promote intuitive eating are either a very lean from previously rigid dieting or B genetically gifted. If intuitive eating worked for everyone, we'd all get extremely lean very easily, but we're not because it doesn't work like that, which is why structured but not restrictive dieting is required before you can be intuitive. It's education for sustainability. And I and I wanted to bring that up only because I think intuitive eating is like uh it's it's what people wish they could do. I mean, really, like it wouldn't it be nice if we could just eat intuitively and be lean, but the fact is is you're going to eat intuitively based on what tastes fucking good. What tastes good isn't always what is best for your diet or healthy or allows you to stay in a calorie deficit to lose weight. Sure. So uh, the other thing is, is that, you know, what doesn't get measured doesn't get managed. So you can't manage to lose weight if you're not measuring or, or tracking any metrics because you just, you're fucking guessing. Yeah. You know, you're, you're literally just throwing shit at the wall and hoping it sticks. So it's really, really important to understand that macros are required or at least tracking calories, tracking your diet in some way, shape or form. You have to have portion control. Every successful diet that works, and this is based on research, every single diet that actually works to help people successfully lose weight uh, either has some kind of system to allow portion control or it, uh, it literally puts you into a deficit. So there's numbers or there's restriction of like, don't eat XYZ or only eat XYZ or stay within these calories, no matter what it forces you into a deficit or it has portion control that allows you to obviously more intuitively, but work into a deficit because you're controlling portions. Either way, there's rules, right? There's no freebies here. Um, The second thing is most stuff is way more simple than people realize when it comes to transitioning to anything. Um, And it really is just like what said, you just wean off it, into it, whatever. Uh, People ask like, well, how do I like reverse my cardio when I'm reverse dieting, you slowly remove it, right? How do I reverse diet? You slowly increase your calories. How do I transition? You slowly transition to it. I had a question today. How do I, like, what's the best way to uh, get back to training after COVID? Slowly get back into training. You know, mm-hmm. as you feel better and less sick, pick up training. You know what I mean? How, how was the best way after injury? How was the best way after a vacation? Just ease into it, like plain and simple. So I say that not to be like, duh, but just, don't overthink it because I do this too. This is why it's powerful to have a coach. We all like typically want to just be like, okay, I'm back. Let's jump into it, you know? Uh, and usually that bites you in the ass. And it's important to go into something slowly. Um, and sometimes there's, I've even thought, I've thought about this many times. And I don't know if this is, it, to me, I always look at this like God is doing this for a reason, trying to tell me something. 
But this always happens to me. Like even this week, I popped my rib out of place. How the fuck does that happen carrying some water bottles? Mm -hmm. But it was the day I was like, all right, I haven't trained hard in two weeks. I've only trained a few days a week. I've been traveling a bunch. I've been off my diet. Like I'm ready to fucking go. Kickstarting right into a deficit. I do my 30-minute walk. I'm going to crush my training. I was like just all about it. And I fucking popped my rib. And this is what I get for carrying a bag of 25 rock stars in it. Uh, in one hand and a water bottle case on the other, my shoulder, my rib popped out of place. And then I like had to go light on everything. I had to skip a couple exercises, change a couple things. And I was so pissed. But to me, that was like, God being like, dude, I know what you're about to do. Slow down, you know, ease into it. And t yesterday, even though I had my rib pop back into place and I felt better, I did ease into it. So um, there's never anything wrong with easing into anything. Now, the best way to go about it is, is pretty much like, the thing I want to say is if you're struggling to figure out how to go about it, you haven't gone through it successfully yet. And what I mean by that is, is by the end, if you do the diet right, if you go through a dieting process correctly and you track, you measure, you adjust properly, you're looking at uh, biofeedback and data during your fat loss journey, when you get to the end of the goal, you shouldn't be in a restrictive diet anymore. You should have gotten to your goal weight and reversed out of it using macros and having a system. So when you finish, you should be in a good place mentally, physically, and from uh, physiologically, right? So your hormones are healthy. Your health is good. Your mindset's in the right place. You're not in a rush. You're not starving anymore. You're not restricting yourself too much. You have a lot of flexibility in the diet. And at that point, shifting to intuitive eating is very fucking easy because you're not deprived, so you're not going to binge. You're, you're motivated, so you're not going to go overboard. You have some willpower because you didn't just get out of the diet. You slowly reversed out of the diet, which is where your, your willpower kind of fills back up because willpower and discipline is not an, an infinite fuel tank, right? You use it and it goes away. This is why we say like remove the junk out of your house if you can, because if all day at work you're using willpower to say no to the the snacks on the in the break room or to like your friends want to go out for beers or whatever, and you're saying no, 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 because you're on your goal. And then you go home and you got cookies and candy. You're just gonna say fuck it. I'm I, this is too much, right? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Mm. You know, and people give up because willpower is literally the act of, of saying no, essentially. It's, it's being able to stick to your own will and, and control your own decisions, but you can't do that constantly. It's, it's limited. So by the end of the diet, you should have filled that back up by slowly increasing diet flexibility, slowly increasing calories while maintaining your body weight, and that comes from tracking macros. So some people, if you do it right, you can literally just go, and I'm done tracking macros. Because if you've done things right, you know portion control, you know about what that is, you know what foods are healthy, what foods send you over, what foods trigger you to binge, and you just kind of are able to intuitively do it. You know, there's been plenty of people who I just go, hey, just don't track this week. See what happens. They get done with the week and they're like, actually, it was totally fine. I, I'm, I have the habit of eating a lot of protein now. I basically know what my meals kind of are anyway most time. If I decide to go have a drink or have some food, I just kind of pull back in the morning and then it's like, hey, you're good then. You did it right. Like, there's no reason, you know. Um, however, for anybody who does feel like they maybe need a little bit more direction on it, I would start with one free day. Like, for me, that's Saturdays. It always has been. But you can just start with that. It's like every Saturday, I just don't track. And you just see how it goes. And just try your best to um, be mindful, control your portions, not go overboard with anything. And then after a while, maybe you change that one day to the whole weekend, right? And you just try to be cautious on the weekends. Um, and then you can just go to the whole week because at that point, the week is usually easier for people anyway. So if you can get through the weekends without going crazy, you'll get through the week just fine. Um, but you, I mean, there's different ways to do it. You can track one day, you can track at the end of the day. That's another really good tool of like 
just eat and then track at the end of the day and see where you landed. Because if you get to the end of the day, Depends you add how good all your, your memory is. Well, you could write it on a sticky note. You know what I mean? So like I've had some people like take out their phone app and just write down everything they ate. Oh. You know, and at the end of the day, you have to estimate some of the portions, obviously, because if, if you're not tracking all day, you didn't weigh out what you ate at lunch, but you wrote it down. Put them in there, and then you can see where you ended up from your calories. And if you're really good with intuitive eating, then you're going to be pretty close within your maintenance calories by the end of the day without actually tracking. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. But in my personal opinion, I think if you go through the dieting phase properly, especially if you get coached properly on it, you kind of just already have the education and the ability and the skill to be intuitive. You can kind of just get right into it. Mm-hmm. You know, even if it takes you a couple of weeks or if it's just like flip the switch and go. So, so wean into it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Cool. All right. Uh, we got another one, dude. We've gotten a lot of questions from the link in the show notes. So a lot of these are anonymous, which is great. Um, next one says, how effective are strength circuits like fast pace uh, boot camp style? Is there no name field in that form anymore? Negative. You had me take it out. Oh, I thought we were just taking the email out so they didn't have to put their email in there. Well, that's it was the same field. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, if you guys want your name shouted out, just put it in the... Yeah. Tell question. us who it's from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how effective are strength circuits? Um, I look at a strength circuit different than a boot camp. So a boot camp to me, I mean, I, I, I could see how it would be a strength circuit, but a boot camp is typically, uh, you know, the way we used to run them is is you would have different stations and it could be 15 seconds on, 45 off. It could be 30 on, 30 off. It could be um, rep count and it could be a ladder. It could be an EMOM. It could be a bunch of different things, but you're kind of going in a circuit, right? So maybe and it's usually full body. So maybe you got like a, a hip hinge, like a kettlebell deadlift and, or a swing. And then you have like a, a push, like a dumbbell push press or a push up. Then you have a row, like a TRX row. Then you might have uh, like a split squat or a goblet squat. Then you might do something metabolic like the assault bike or prowler sprints or something like that. Um, then maybe we go to a core exercise and then we have like a band pull apart, something like an extra pull. Um, and then we just go in a circuit fashion that the problem with these is if you're going 30 on 30 off, it's really just cardio. You're not, you're not progressively overloading any of those aspects because you only have 30 seconds to do so. And next week when you come to the boot camp or tomorrow or whatever, it's probably gonna be different exercises. So there's really just no way to periodize boot camps like that. It's effective at burning calories. However, you will be contracting your muscles on a consistent basis and therefore you are going to create some muscle damage, right? Muscle damage isn't very effective at actually building muscle at all. Um, It's just a byproduct of the other things that build muscle, right? Progressive overload, time under tension, mechanical tension, uh, neurological factors, but a boot camp doesn't really do those things. Mm -hmm. It increases your heart rate, it burns calories, and it creates muscle damage. So yeah, you build a little bit of muscle, but really not much, but that muscle damage leads to muscle fatigue, And if you have muscle fatigue going into your strength training session the next day, you're going to do way worse with your performance on progressive overload, volume, intensity in that strength session, which is like your foundational compound session, right? So now, yeah, we might burn calories during the boot camp, but we're also negatively impacting our strength training sessions. If you're doing strength training. If you're doing strength training, which for most people, 95% of people who want to be leaner, have muscle, build strength or anything, they should be prioritizing strength training over cardio anyway. Now, if you want to lose fat and you do need some cardio, you could go on a long walk 
or you could go for a jog or you could do the assault bike and you could burn just as many calories doing that as the boot camp. However, you create far less, if not zero muscle damage and fatigue, which does not impact the actual strength training the next day. In fact, it actually improve it because you're bringing blood flow into the limbs. And if you're doing it right, you're doing like a sled or a rower or an assault bike, which there's no eccentric components. So there's actually zero muscle damage. It's all, it's, it's concentric contractions and lactic, lactic acid accumulation. It really just brings oxygen and blood flow into the muscle, which actually reduces inflammation and improves recovery, right? So there's a way to go about this where you can get the same benefit that boot camps have, but it actually improves your strength training, which is the main thing you should be focusing on anyway. Um, I'm not a huge fan of boot camps, as you can tell. God, um, I can see that. Now, a strength circuit to me is different. Strength circuits, I originally heard from uh, Christian Thibodeau, and there was a program mm. uh, that I – there's many different ways to do this, but the one that like I first saw a strength circuit was a, a program called Built for Bad. If you want to look it up, it's on T Nation from Christian Thibodeau, like wrote in 2012, like way back. And uh, – there's five exercises. They're all compound lifts. You do it five days a week and you lift heavy, mm. right? So it was a five, four, three, two, one circuit. And so it's essentially like, think of it like this. Exercise one is a trap bar deadlift. So hip hinge. Exercise two is a uh, barbell bench press. So a push. Uh, exercise three is a, a squat pattern. So it was like a front squat or a back squat. Uh, exercise four was a uh, explosive movement. I want to say it was a high pull. So it's almost like, it's kind of like a snatch, right? You could do a snatch, but it's high pull. And then exercise five, uh, I believe was a weighted chin up, which you could sub for like a T-bar or whatever. You basically do hip hinge, knee dominant squat, push, pull, and then an extra um, pull, right? So high pull and a vertical pull. So you got an upper back pull and a lat pull. So two pulls to the one press, just heavy lifts, five reps, you're going like 80 to 85% of your one rep max, really, really heavy, right? You do that back to back to back to back with zero breaks. Then you take a solid like five minute break at the end of it. Then you go into four reps. So you go heavier and you go four reps, four reps, four reps, four reps, take a break, two, three reps, three reps, all the way down to one rep, right? Sounds very simple, but do that every day. Yeah. So literally bench press five days a week, squat five days a week, five reps, to one rep. And the difference was is some days were the max effort days. So you'd be going up to like 95% of your one rep max. And then the other days were like sub max. You'd go up to like 90%. But like the neurological fatigue is so small, like difference wise. Um, man, I blew up that program. I built a lot of muscle. I got stronger than I've ever gotten in my life. Granted, this is 10 years ago. So yeah. I was 19, 20 years old. Um, I was fucking primed and ready, full of testosterone, ready to grow. So it was definitely the period of time where like I would put on the most muscle. Um, I tried to do that program again in uh, 2017 when we had Blakely, 2017, 2018 actually, uh, 2018 when she was born. And uh, I remember because she you was a, shot. It, it, oh my God, it fucked me up because I was like, I mean, most dads know this too. Like at first when, when the baby, like they sleep in your room. So you you wake up a lot because they wake up. But also at first when you're a new parent, like the, the mom's got to wake up to, to feed the baby. And so they, they wake you up and then you kind of just sit there like, what am I doing? <laughs> True. <laughs> and then, cause I remember going through that and then finally Shannon was like, you know what? Yeah, I guess you're fucking pointless here. So <laughs> just go back to sleep. So she started letting me sleep again. But, um, but the baby cries, you wake up, you know? Yeah. So I wasn't getting full sleep. And I did, I think I got through like two or three weeks of that program and I was like literally depressed, like moody. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. And it was, I, my nervous system was just shot from doing it. I was doing it in my garage because I had the garage yeah, gym. I remember. And uh, it was brutal, but it's a, it, that's a strength circuit, you know? So you could do something similar to that and not go to 
maximum weights. You could do it with like a like maybe you do a five four three two one one day and then like a ten eight six four one day and then take a rest day and then repeat it. You can do it with isolation exercises. You can do this a lot of different ways. It's fun and it's and it's effective for sure, but it's very neurologically fatiguing because typically you do it full body. Typically you have to go really heavy to get the most out of it. Um, but you are going to build and this sound this is very like unscientific, but you're going to create a lot of athleticism doing it because you have to be able to perform with heavy weights and or with explosive movements while doing it in a state of metabolic fatigue. Because if you just go five rep max deadlift and then I'm walking over to a bench press and I have to do a five rep bench press max or sub max, like my heart's fucking pumping, I'm fatigued. But if I can perform at those high intensities while under that metabolic stress, to me, that's what athleticism is. You know, if you're in UFC and you're three rounds in, that's what that is. If yeah. you're in football and you're in the fucking fourth quarter, fourth quarter, I almost said inning, fourth quarter, and you have to be explosive against people who are charging you, and you're that fatigued because you've been playing four fucking quarters. Like yeah. that's what athleticism is. Um, so it's a good way to do those things. I think they're fun. It's also a great way to to get lean. Yeah. Honestly, like if you want to maintain strength and get lean, that's a great way to do it. Because you're gonna burn a lot of calories doing that, um, and it keeps you really strong. Um, you can also do it in a way. This is this is more hypertrophy focus. And it's fucking brutal. And you could mix these if you want to. But I've done one where it was uh, it was progressive from a time perspective. So week one, it was like 20 seconds of work, 40 seconds rest. And there's five exercises. And at the end of the round, you take like a three-minute break. So it would be like 20 seconds of dumbbell bench press, 40 seconds rest, 20 seconds of front squat, 40-second rest. 20 seconds, you're probably getting five to 10 reps. You know, So you can go pretty heavy. It's nothing crazy. But then week two, you go 30 on, 30 off. Week three, you go 40 on, and I actually don't think it was 40 on, 20 off. I think the rest increased too, actually. So it would have been like 30 on, 60 off, and then it was like – 40 on. I'm sorry, 30 on, 60 off, and then 40 on, like two minutes off, right, 120 off, uh, seconds off or whatever. Because the longer the duration of the exercise, the more lactate you accumulate, and that lactate has to flush out of the muscle before you can repeat the exercise about again. But, man, dude, 40 seconds of bench press – like, you get, like, 15 seconds in, you're like, holy shit, I'm still going. Yeah. Like, the pump yeah. is gnarly. But that was a really fun one because it was a three-week progression. And the time under tension, the lactate accumulation kind of increases. So for somebody who wants to be able to perform long-lasting sets, wants to be able to compete in, like, CrossFit, where you might have to do a lot of assault bike or a long-distance walking lunge or whatever, that stuff works really well because you, you learn how to tolerate that lactate threshold. And there's also some evidence that shows uh, lactate accumulation actually does help build muscle too. Um, it's a great way to change things up. So that's a brutal one that works really well. Yeah. Two things. Strength circuit is strength training. 100%. So she was referring to it as, or they. No, you're right. Boot camp. Yeah. You know what I mean? So... I got a question, and I I know you say you can't, but I think you can. How would you, if you were passing your final exam, mm. how would you periodize strength or boot camps? You'd have to have this, the, the the groups. You'd have to have the same group. Bingo. Doing the same. And that's why it's impossible. Yeah. And that's why it's never in the model because if I periodize it, I have to go, okay, if you're going to sign up, you have to be here every single Monday, Wednesday, Friday for the next six months. Yeah. You can't skip. Yeah. You know what I mean? Otherwise, and that's the problem. The, the reason boot camps are what they are is because they're dropping classes. They're yeah. every day so people can go, some days I can make it, some days I can't. Yeah. And this is the thing too. If you're a beginner, 
go fucking do it. I yeah. used to run boot camps. I think they're great. It's a great way to get your heart rate up. It's a great way to get introduced to the community and into a fitness thing. And if Change you just mindset. need to get fucking moving because yeah. you've never done anything, that's a great entry because you do build some cardiovascular and metabolic performance and health. And it, it gets you out of that like nervousness or insecurity of going into the gym. Yeah. You, know, you get started. It's a fun, active community. Obviously, I'm, I'm a bigger fan of strength training because it's more effective. But, um, but if I was to periodize, and let's say in the perfect world, somebody – well, I did have a group that was going to stay with me the whole time. Um, the the way I would periodize is similar to what I just talked about. I would Strength periodize circuit. it. In, yeah, I would I would periodize it in a way where it's like, okay, these days we're doing uh, hypertrophy based ones and they're time intervals, and we're starting with ten seconds, and then twenty, and then thirty, and then forty, and then you know go back to ten. So we're progressing from a volume perspective and work capacity perspective, how much you can get done in this period of time. And we're going to increase that time so you can get more and more done. Then we come back to the ten second, so you can get more done in the ten seconds this time than you did a month or two ago. Totally. Um, for the other ones, I might do an EMOM, right? Or uh, uh, every minute, every other minute on the minute, um, or even EDTs. Like here's a 10 minute timer. That's another great way to do it. Like we have three stations, 10 minute timer. You have three exercises per station. You're gonna get as many rounds as you can of those three exercises in this 10 minute station. And your goal over the course of weeks is to improve how many times you can get through that circuit. Totally. You know, um, and you, the, the hard part is you can't really do a boot camp with progressive overload from uh, its truest form of like adding weight because at that point it has to be a rep count. You know what I mean? You could kind of go like five reps, four reps, three reps like I talked about and you could tr pro progress that over the weeks. But if you had a large group of people doing that with compound lifts, you're going to be there for six hours to get through everybody. You just can't do it. You know what I mean? Because you, how many? You'd have to have so many fucking squat racks. You'd have to have a spotter for every person. You'd have to have people changing loads because not everybody lifts the same. That's why it's much better to be like, all right, we have a fifty-pound kettlebell, and we have TRX thirty fucking seconds. You and I are going to get a different rep count, but it doesn't matter. We're going for thirty seconds, and then next week maybe we get an extra rep for th in that thirty seconds. You know, so it's very very ineffective way to periodize, but that's probably. I was just wondering, yeah, it's like could yeah, you do it? and we used to do that, but then you start seeing that. Nobody ever like actually attends the same ones or is that consistent when they're doing boot camps. So then we were more like, okay, how do we really like effectively increase their heart rate and give them the metabolic uh, stimulus that they're after, burn a lot of calories and make sure they have fucking fun, yeah. right? And learning exercises, yeah. right? Not so worried about strength. If you want strength, do semi-private, do individual design, get an online coach. Like that's the route to go. Touche. You know? Cool. Should we do one more? Yep. All right, so the next question comes from Elsie Seisberg. Seberg says, to what degree is high protein too much or dangerous? For example, if you're overeating a few days a week on just protein and end up near 1.8 grams uh, per pound of protein that day, just curious about your opinion on effects long term. Uh, there is zero documented long-term negative side effects of consuming that much protein. They have even documented uh, – and granted, like, there's always people that are like – so they, they did like a uh, two-gram per pound study, right? So you consume two grams per pound, which is more than she just said. She said 1.8, which is a lot. Don't get me wrong. I don't think anybody needs two grams, and I'll explain that too. But they did that, and it was like eight weeks long. They saw no negative side effects. They actually saw positive ones. And then people were like, well, that's not long enough to show anything. So they did a six-month study. And people are like, well, it really doesn't matter unless you do it for like a long period of time. And then they did a year-long study. So there's always going to be people that are like, well, that's not enough. Or that study didn't control this or whatever. And, you know, those people are, to me, and this is actually a great analogy for this. Those people who talk shit about the studies that go on, 
And granted, I know people who do research now, so I understand how they feel about this too. But those people are like the guys that watch UFC and go, just fucking punch him already. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because it's like, yeah, I've done it too. Yeah. And then you think, and you're like, okay, well, I'm not in that fucking room. Yeah. 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 It's not as simple as just punch him already. Yeah. Um, or like when you're screaming <laughs> at the quarterback, like, you know, he's open. Like, yeah, yeah he knows. Um, so with studies, like, you're not in the lab. You yeah. don't, you can't determine what it takes yeah. to put on those studies and it's way more than any of us would have expected. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very, very strenuous process. Um, so to all those people, middle finger, or just even to like, you know, when we were playing sports, it's like your mom. Yeah. You're just like run faster. Yeah. What do you mean run faster? <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? My legs are moving as fast as they can go. Oh dude, I'll never forget one time. My brother, uh, my dad was that guy. You yeah. Know, yelling and yeah. Stuff. I was at, this was one of the games I did go to my brother's games. Uh, and uh, he, my brother, my dad was yelling at my brother, probably saying run fast or whatever because he yeah. played uh, wings. So yeah. Outside. My brother literally got so sick of it that he kicked the ball just away from him, out of bounds, turned around and said, shut the fuck up to my dad <laughs> on the sideline. And it, the whole fucking crowd was just like silent. And I mean, he didn't have his license. Yeah. He's like 14, 15. Yeah. Oh my God, bro. That was a fucking game stopper. <laughs> I think we left right after that. Yeah. You're going home. I was like, damn. Damn. Good one, Vinny. But anyway. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's no documentation, though, of, of research. The They did a study, and I want to say it was over a year long. It was at least a year, but I want to say they might have done one that was like two plus years. Um, and I can't imagine doing this as a participant, but uh, eating two grams per pound of body weight every single day. And uh, there was zero negative side effects to any health risk kidneys, anything. There's absolutely zero health risk. And the people who did it actually burned more body fat than the other people. And they were in a surplus, which defies the law of thermodynamics to an extent. And it's most likely because the thermic effect of protein is so high. And once you consume more than what's required, it's just burning, getting burned off. But in order to burn it off because it can't source fat, your body has to increase its metabolism to burn extra calories, right? So you're actually burning even more calories than you normally would just through digestion and trying to excrete this protein um the only side effect was that they had like sweaty sleep they literally would just get super hot when they slept that was the only complaint and it makes sense your metabolism is super high you're probably gonna be hot at night sleep a lot if you eat a lot of food that happens too yeah um i eat way more food and way more protein than shannon and our temperature gauge for sleeping is polar opposite i'm sleeping next to naked with zero blankets on and a fan pointing at my face and she's bundled up with like sweater and a blanket like it's crazy um <laughs> it's nuts but that's the only side effect so there's there's literally zero issue with doing that so if you want to eat 1.8 grams you don't need to but by all means do it yeah. you know the only time it's ever an issue is if you have a pre-existing kidney issue and there's not even a lot of research to show that that's a fact we just would hypothesize that because your kidneys help process uh, protein. So if you have a kidney defect or you have one kidney, cause a lot of people get kidney uh, transplants, which I have a client like that. And we have a lower protein intake to be safe. They, they would assume that you're, you're going to have an issue, yeah. right? Which you probably wouldn't be able to process much protein, but at the same time, if we can process two plus grams, who knows? They're not going to do a study on it though. Cause then you're risking people's life by doing, trying to figure out how much protein you can take in. You know, it's not that important. Yeah. Um, but the point being is you can definitely consume that. Um, uh, there's no reason to. After you get above a gram per pound, there's really no added benefit to it. There might be some benefit uh, to going higher if you're on a 
bulk and you're already at, I want to say it's four times your body weight in kilograms of carbohydrates, mm. then you might be able to, and it depends on the type of training. So if you're doing like bodybuilding style training, um, uh, Jackson Piaz actually did a video on this. He actually broke down the math of how much carbohydrates your body will actually use for that kind of training because you know, CrossFit, stuff like that, you're going to, in marathons, you're going to burn way more than bodybuilding. Um, and once you get to about four grams per kilogram, at that point, you're, you're basically using as many carbs as you're going to need. And there might be some benefit to increasing protein at that point. And he had some justification for it. And it made sense. There's also a benefit to going like 1.2 or one uh, up to 1.5 grams per pound if you're on a cut, um, not only for satiety purposes, but also for muscle maintenance. And there's been research to show that you might get a benefit from that to um, have extra protein when you're in a deficit because you'll actually help you maintain your muscle mass while dieting, which is why we usually use high-protein diets with people because a lot of the clients that hire us are chasing fat loss. Um, so with all that being said, uh, there's there's really no issue. There's literally zero studies that show long-term side effects of protein. There's a lot of people who try to make claims, but nothing they say is actually backed up by evidence. Me and Brandon Roberts, our chief science officer on the team, have gone over countless protein overfeeding studies. I've gone over it with Dr. Jose Antonio on the, stud, on the podcast and Dr. Bill Campbell, there's nothing, you know, you don't need it, but it doesn't hurt. Totally. You know, I eat about 1.2 to 1.3 grams per pound of protein just because I like meat. <laughs> like I, I have a hard 1. time. 1.8 to 2. God damn. That's a lot. I mean, that, that'd be me eating. Uh, so two grams per pound for me would be 340 grams of protein. So 1.8 is probably about 300 grams, which sounds like a lot. But to be honest with you, there's been plenty of days where like all I could eat easily eat 350. The only reason I'm eating less than 325 to 350 is because my coach is telling me to eat 210. I'm sorry, not 350, two, 250. Oh, yeah. Um, he's having me eat 210, which is still 1.2 grams per pound, okay. um, which is more than normal. You're going to cut, though? I, I am going to cut, so it makes more sense. But even when I wasn't, I was still eating this much protein because for me, like if I have eggs and it's like a little bit of eggs, I just, it doesn't, I don't know. There's something about, I, I crave that kind of food. So even like if I eat a steak, if I have a four ounce steak, I'm just pissed off. Like I need like a half pound steak, you know? Um, there was that day, uh, I got an extra steak for Shannon's dad cause I knew he'd be there. And then he was like, no, I'm leaving. And I was like, all right. So I had fucking two, eight or nine ounce steaks just back to back. And I was like, no problem. You know, the scale jumps up like crazy cause I eat an extra pound of meat, but God, yeah, I fucking love it. Holy shit, dude. We were hanging out with uh, a friend of ours in Arizona, and we went out to breakfast on Saturday morning. Like, really nice, like, breakfast. But this guy had a, like, a scramble, a side of, he's, first of all, he's 6'2", 280. Okay. So, yeah. And and he had a quarter of the table with just food. (laughs) I'm like, he was just like, just huge mountain man. Yeah. Beard this big. Like, and I was just like, holy fuck. He's like, yeah, can we get him another thing of bacon? I was like, holy shit. I just had like eggs benedict. I'm like, all right, I'm good. But anyway, cool, man. That was, uh, that was good. We got a lot of questions. So we will see you guys on Monday. Yeah. Leave us a five-star rating and review on Spotify and iTunes. They're doing it on Spotify now. Uh, make sure that you take a screenshot of the show, post on your story, tag myself at Cody McBroom. I want to thank you for listening and share it on my story as well. And uh, last but not least, make sure that you check all the links in the description of this podcast. We got a link to the first form subs. We have links to our free guides. We have links to our coaching, the Taylor trainer, all kinds of cool shit um, that allows you to gain more value from us and join our tribe. We'll catch you guys next time.